Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as the power of your voice spoke into being everything that we know and experience, speak over our hearts today and fill us with new hope, with new life, with new confidence in you as we open your word here in these next few moments. And it's to the glory of your Son that we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to Acts, the eighth chapter. What would you say has been the most difficult day of your life, the, the worst day of your life? What would you say has been the worst day of your life? I'm not talking about just a, a bad day, like those, those days that things don't always come together like we hope, you know, like that day that maybe you're, you're craving some of that, that sweet lemonade from, from Chick-fil-A and those crispy waffle fries. And you, you're driving up there and you, you're pulling into the parking lot and your mouth is watering and you realize when you get there, it's Sunday. They're closed. Oh, no. I can't get it. I'm disappointed. That's a bad day. But I'm not talking about that day. I'm talking about the worst day of your life. Maybe it was when you got a diagnosis or maybe when somebody close to you passed away. It was the worst day of your life. Maybe for several of you in here, you've had many worst days or maybe for some, your worst day hasn't even come yet. It was two days after her 17th birthday. In 1963, Laura Welch was on top of the world. She got a new convertible and one of her friends got in there with her and they were cruising down the road, man, wind in the hair, they had the radio going. And man, they were singing along and Laura forgot to see a stop sign at an intersection. She went into the intersection and the next thing she heard was screeching tires and brakes and, and metal crunching together, boom, as she ran into a vehicle. In her horror, she looked up and there was a car that she had hit into the ditch and she realized that that car belonged to her boyfriend. And she ran over and he had been thrown from the car. And before paramedics could get there, he passed away. She was devastated. It was the worst day of her life. She clung to her faith in the Lord and it carried her through. And years later, she, she got married. And then she was the example of faith in her family as her husband began to drink more and more and he was getting DUIs and one day she went to him and said, you're gonna have to, to give up the, the bottle or give me up and he made the right choice and he, he went to her and they salvaged their marriage and it was a turning point in their marriage and today, even to this day, President George W. Bush and Laura Bush looked back on that moment and they said it could have been one of the worst days of our, our lives when our marriage fell apart, but we, we went in faith and we, instead of running from God, we turned into him and he carried us through it. So today I ask you this, when life is scattered, when, when life is in turmoil, in the, the wake of the moments of the worst days of your life, when your spiritual equilibrium is, is turned upside down, how are you going to react today? We're going to spend a few moments wrapping up this series that we've been over the last few weeks in the book of Acts. It's a series we've called Powerful, and that's why we've had the solar panel out here as we talk about this invisible power in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit, which resides in us as believers in Jesus Christ. So in these few moments, we're going to look at a message called Scattered. And last week, we, we ended a message that was called Sacrifice as we looked at the first martyr in the, the Christian church, Stephen. Stephen went out and he was preaching the word of God and the Jewish leadership there in Jerusalem, they couldn't stand it. 
and they drug him in there and he proclaimed the word, but they took him out and they stoned him to death and he was, he was killed. It was considered the, the worst day of the early church for many. As this man, Stephen, who was a popular leader, he was drug out there and he, he was killed and he was so effective for the Lord. But now the, the Christians were being scattered around. And I've, I've known a few worst, day, worst days in my life and I know that you probably have too. And so your Heavenly Father today, in this message, He wants you to know that He, he understands that there's going to be suffering and, and hardship in your life. And that, that it's going to be tough. But He wants you to know that for thousands of years, He has been working in people's lives just like yours and just like mine to work together all things for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But here's the problem today, is that many times when we go through suffering and trials in our life, that it we're tempted to turn away from God and rather than leaning into Him. The stakes are high. And you can, you can do that if you want to. You can go it on your own. But, oh, my friend, today, Jesus invites you to experience His power, to go on a journey that He's going to fill you with His perfect peace and His confidence in Him is that in the midst of your worst day, He says, I'm going to fill you with my power and I'm going to walk through this life with you and I am going to advance the cause of my kingdom and my mission through your life and bring amazing joy out of your heartache. And so here in these next few moments, we're going to look at three handles that we can grab onto in the, on the worst days of our lives. And we're going to see what he did in the lives of the early church. The first thing that we need to remember on the worst day of our life is that we need to remember who God is. The early Christians, for them, Stephen's funeral meant that more funerals were on the way. You see, open season had been declared on Christians in Jerusalem. And so we're going to look now in the book of Acts chapter 8 at what scripture, how it describes this story. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. And that was Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But St Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. In verse 1, it's a continuation of chapter 7. That's why it begins with the word and. And so we're going on with this story. And so we find that, that this young, zealous Pharisee, Saul, who was one of the Jewish leaders, he was there endorsing and watching the execution of Stephen. And it said that he gave approval. That as these men took off their robes so they could throw the stones at Stephen, that they were throwing their robes at the, the foot of at the feet of Saul, and he was giving hearty approval. And so Saul then later says, you guys, you leaders, you killed Stephen, but I'm going to go now with a fervor, and I'm going to destroy and wipe out the church of God. And so in the original language, this word destroy, it's the word ravish in the Greek, and it means that it's like a wild beast just tearing flesh and, and ravaging and shredding. And this is the image of Paul and Saul as he is going out to destroy the church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And so, Christians, we pick up the story here in Aden. Now we find them, they're scattering all over the region. They're fleeing. And this, the death of Stephen became a pivotal moment in the early church. 
And its ripple effects have gone through the centuries of time and they've come and they affect even us today. We have the gospel in our hands because the Christians left there and they scattered and they fulfilled what Jesus had called them to do in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Listen to what, what Jesus said to them. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Christians had, had had a great success there in Jerusalem. They were preaching the gospel and many were coming to know the Lord. It says that there were upward to six to 8,000 Christians now in Jerusalem before this persecution. And now Saul was coming against them and they were going to be scattered for it was not God's plan that they would just stay huddled up in Jerusalem. This persecution now became the catalyst for the word of God to go out and to touch the world. Take a look at this map right here. There in the center, you see Jerusalem there in the Holy Lands. And to the north is, is the region of Samaria, and to the south is Judea. The Christians were being dispersed. They were being spread out as they went, taking the gospel out into the, the world. Saul had them on their heels. He was chasing them down. He was dragging out men and women, imprisoning them, imprisoning them and, and he was killing them. You talk about suffering. Man. I don't know if you and I were there, if we could, if we could have taken it ourselves, many of us might have said, you know what, this is, this cause of Jesus is too much, man. This is asking, uh, it's just easier to, to give up, just to stay quiet. And so my friend today, if life has declared open season on you, know this, that, that you are going to face some suffering. And I want to talk about three types of suffering that we might face in this world as we go through our journey. And the suffering that we face, the first one is this, it's common suffering. This is suffering that happens to Christians and un unbelievers all at the, the same time. And this is, for an example, like a tornado that would blow through. A couple of years ago, Pastor Tim and I and some men, we went up to, to Moore, Oklahoma to pray with people who had been hit by this tornado. And as we went through these neighborhoods, it was unbelievable. Like there's just slabs of foundations of homes and piles of, of wood and, and sheet rock everywhere and just lives destroyed. And here is, is a tornado that hit unbelievers and believers alike, common suffering. The next one is carnal suffering. And this is suffering that might come upon us because we bring it upon ourselves by our bad decisions. Like take this for an example. Let's say you just, you just eat gravy every single day on everything. You're like, hey, I live in Texas, man. It's like chicken fried, everything, steak. And I'm putting gravy on there for years and years and with no. And then I look up and my, my health and my cholesterol is horrible later. I brought this on myself. This wasn't something God did. And so there's carnal suffering. And the last one is Christian suffering. And this is suffering that we go through that the Bible teaches us that God will oftentimes put us through the crucible of life to, to grow our patience and our dependence upon him. And he's putting us through something to, to strengthen our faith and to, to grow it in him so that we don't look upon our own self and our own power because he's more concerned about our character than our comfort. And so today, the word of God never promises that we won't face bad things in our life, but it does promise us this, that on the worst day of your life, it, that will not change the nature and the character and the love of your heavenly father for you. The worst day of your life, God still remains compassionate, slow to anger, merciful, loving, and he cares for you. And you 
are on his mind. And so when you go through difficulties, number one, remember who God is. The second thing is this, that we need to remember what God can do. Producing fruit from the worst days of our life is a pattern that God, he's doing all throughout scripture. I want you to consider this verse from Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The followers of Christ were under incredible pressure and they were scattering out and they were preaching the word wherever they went. They were abandoning their place, but they were not abandoning the mission that God had called them to. They were abandoning their homes, but they clung to this calling that God had on their life to to go out and to seek and to save those who are lost and bring the message of hope. And so he might not call you abroad somewhere to go on a mission trip or live somewhere. But the mission remains the same in your neighborhood, in your school. He's calling you. He's using you to take the message of Christ. And what they learned, what those early Christians learned is that, that persecution actually promotes that which it seeks to destroy. Persecution sought to destroy the word of God. But it actually the blood of the martyrs, it says, became the seeds of the church. As they were scattered, they be- proclaim the gospel with great power. Have you ever been camping? Maybe you brought your family out there and you're going to make some s'mores and you light up a campfire, man, it's going great. But then it's time to turn in for the night. Got to put the fire out. Maybe you go over there and you're like, you're going to get it to stomp like this. What happens when you do that? The embers fly up in the air and the wind catches them. And the more you stomp on it, they fly out. And if there's some dry grass, it might catch it and start to another fire. Saul was going after the the early church and he was going to stamp it out the faith and he's going to extinguish the lives of Christians and when he did that it was like wow God empowered the embers of the gospel to go forward out into to the other regions and it began to to spread and, and God used what he had intended Saul for for bad and God was working in it to accomplish his purpose you see there's those of in our culture today that want to stamp out Christianity There's people that you work with and people that are offended by the word of God. And when you call out some lifestyle that they're living as a, as a sin and as against God, they, they bow up and they, they get, they get angry. The Bible says that the gospel will be a stumbling block for many people. And so Jesus, he says, Hey, don't be surprised. I've warned you that this is going to happen. Listen to what he says in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to this world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and this is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You know, here in the States, in America, we don't face outright persecution being drugged to, to prison. But what we have, what we do face is what's called silent repression. It's where this culture, a lot of times it's like there's a pressure just to keep your mouth shut at work. Don't say anything about Jesus. Keep your faith to yourself. And so we live under this this pressure of, of persecution, so to speak, because the world despises the light. The darkness despises the light that would expose it for what it is. People lashed out at Jesus and he had people that came against him. And how did he respond when he faced that 
he responded in, in love and in, in mercy. That's hard to do, isn't it? You know, some people come up to me and they say, Pastor Jet, there's a passage in the New Testament I wish I could just cut out of my Bible. And I said, what is that? And it's so hard, it's so difficult to live this out, what Jesus is calling me to do. And so I said, what is it? And I read it and I said, you know, I can relate to that. And sometimes maybe you can, you feel this too. It's in Luke chapter 6 when Jesus says this to us, love your enemies. Really, Jesus? That's what you're, you're calling me to do? Do good to those who hate you. Oh, okay, God, now you're starting to push it a little bit. All right, bless those who curse you. Come on, Lord, pray for those who, who mistreat you. Do what? Are, are you for real, Lord? If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Wow. Jesus, who, who do you think I am? You? I, you know what? If I could rewrite this passage, and, and you too, probably a lot of times in our humanity, we, wanna, we want it to say this, dislike your enemies. Gossip about those who hate you. Get back at those who, who curse you. Write a hate-filled post on Facebook about those people who oppose you. And then, then punch them in the nose, those people who hurt you. Wouldn't that feel You know what? It takes more courage to show love. And I'm going to give you the power that, to fulfill this in your life. The power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're becoming more loving. You're becoming more like Christ. And it's not in your own strength. It's the fruit of my Spirit living inside of you. The power of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, many of these Christians that were, were scattered, they may have never seen the results of their testimony. That years had maybe went by and some of them died and they never saw how it was all going to turn out. And maybe today God's got you in the midst of a trial and a, a crucible of a difficult time. And it may be years from now that, you, that you're going to finally say, Oh, wow. And you see the why that he had you there for a purpose. You may never find out, but God says to you today, that's the power of faith. And faith says, God, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to trust you, God. When nothing makes sense around me in the, the, my faith, I'm going to lean into you. Even on my worst day when I can't see it and I can't understand it, I'm going to remember what God can do. And the last thing, that we're going to find out and we can grasp onto today is that we need to allow God to keep working through us. Allow God to keep working through you. Look at verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And so we could easily skip over this verse and just keep reading, but this is one of the most profound verses in this chapter right here. That Philip went on down and he began to proclaim the gospel. If we were to take verse 5 out of context, it would just seem like another day in the life of Philip, who was later called the evangelist, that he was going to go share the good news. But, but here's what happened. Philip, he was one in chapter 6 of the first deacons that was elected in the church. There were seven men that were elected to take care of the church. And, and Philip was one of those. And Stephen, who had just been martyred, was one as well. And so I'm sure that Philip and, and Stephen worked together. They served in the church together. They knew each other. And Philip probably was there when they were stoning Stephen, and he's watching his friend being murdered. And here he is at this precipice of his faith where he could look over here and he said, you know what, the cost is too high. I'm going to abandon Jesus. I'm mailing this in. Or he said, no, 
I'm going to cling to the only thing of value that I have in my life because I know the power of God and I'm not going to run scared. I'm going to run and I'm going to proclaim the message of Christ. And so here is the context. He, he is in this grief and he's suffering, but he goes and he carries the message of Jesus Christ to a town in Samaria. Let's understand here for just a moment the dynamics of what he was walking into. You see, in Jerusalem, you had the Jews who were basically full-blooded Jews. And they had great pride in their heritage. And you had people, descendants, that were coming from two Jewish parents down. And so you had this pure line. But over here in Samaria, why did the Jews hate the Samaritans so much? It's because in 722 B.C., there was Jews here in this part of the region. And the Assyrians came and they, they drug these Jews off into exile, into captivity. But there was a remnant of these Jewish people that stayed back and didn't go with their people. And so they were considered traitors. And then they intermarried with the Gentiles. And their descendants were a half-breed of Jewish people and Gentiles. And so the, the true blooded Jews look over here with, with a lot of uh, animosity and, and uh, racial hatred before them. And the many times the Bible says that they, they would travel around the region to not have to go through Samaria and interact with those people. And that's what makes Jesus so incredible in his love. If you remember Jesus, he went to Samaria. He encountered the woman at the well. And it was to her that he revealed that he was the Messiah. And if you remember another story, the story of the good Samaritan. Check this out. Here's Jesus making a Samaritan the hero of a story, not the, the priest and the Levites. Can you imagine how that must have just needled these scribes and Pharisees over here that Jesus was using? That, that guy is the hero. Jesus, man, what I love about him is that no matter where he goes, he loves all people, all races. He, he takes you from wherever you are, and he says... You are going to be a part of my family, and I'm going to fill you with my power. So Philip goes to Samaria to preach the good news. Let's look in verse 6 of what happened. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so listen to this. There was great joy in that city. See, Samaria was a region devoid of the gospel of hope. And so Philip goes there and he begins to proclaim the power of Christ. And, and lives were being delivered. People were being freed from all kinds of emotional and physical chains that had held them back. And so there was great joy that filled the city. There's great joy in our lives as sinners when we realize the magnitude of what Martin Luther called the beautiful exchange. And what is that? That is that a perfect Lamb of God, a sinless Jesus Christ who, who didn't deserve to die, He went to the cross and exchanged His life for my broken sinfulness that deserved death and separation for God. And He laid down His life to declare me righteous. Wow. And so when that magnitude begins to sink into my heart and I think, this is incredible. Great joy now fills my heart. And Jesus says, I've come that your joy may be full. We can live with joy in the midst of the suffering that we face. 
and the persecution that we face. Listen to what Peter said. He says this to us and to all believers. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You may be going out today into a hostile environment of bearing the name of Jesus, but he says, if you're insulted, don't worry. Don't be surprised. You are blessed. At the bottom of your outline, there's two questions that I want to wrap this message up with, and I want you to, to think about these. Maybe you can have some time this week to really pray about these and, and to analyze your heart before the Lord. And the first one is this, is if they made it illegal to be a Christian in the United States, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about it. And then this, knowing that I have the power of Jesus living in me, I have the confidence to face blank. To fashion a powerful sword, a blacksmith will take some raw metal and he will put it into the forging furnace and it will heat up to be red hot. That metal is, it's scraggly and it, it doesn't look like much and like how could this be anything but he pulls it out and it's glowing hot and the, through the heat and then the, the hammer blows as he takes a sledgehammer and begins to shape and form it. It becomes a powerful weapon through the forging of the fire and the hammer blows. And so today church, you may feel like you're in the crucible of life that the fires and the furnaces are burning around you and the hammer blows one after another are descending upon your life and, and you're in pain and you just want to run away from it. But here's what the truth is today, that God may not want to get you out of suffering, but he wants to teach you what you can get out of the suffering. You see, my friend, the master blacksmith, your heavenly father is at work in your life He's shaping you. He's molding you into the character of Jesus Christ, your Savior. And church, he calls you today as he scans out this crowd and he says, you're about to go out scattered into this community, scattered across the metroplex. And as you do that, your heavenly father says today to go in the power of the one who says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or be dismayed for I am your God and I will be with you wherever you go. To God be the glory. Amen.